rescue. And so our prayers were answered, right? But on the other hand, the poverty-stricken nation of Haiti did not dodge the Hurricane Matthew bullet, and the death tolls there are now estimated to be over 800 dead. I think in, a, in, this, in this country, there were just a couple of people who were killed by this storm. I looked it up, and on average, 17 people per year in the United States die from hurricanes, and I thought that was a pretty low number. But we're blessed with technology, and we're blessed with prosperity that we can evacuate people and build strong buildings uh, such that is not available in places like Haiti. Uh, but our prosperity and our technology, though it may help us with something like a hurricane, it doesn't allow us to dodge every bullet that comes our way. Trouble comes, doesn't it? Uh, it comes with surprising frequently, frequency in all kinds of ways. For example, uh, in the United States, there are 1.6 million new cases of cancer every year, resulting in 595,000 cancer-related deaths. Uh, 500,000 cars are stolen every year. How about that? Some of you have probably experienced that. 447,000 home robberies per year occur in the United States, and I read that 34% of robbers walk in through unlocked front doors. thought that was interesting. There are 30,000 car accidents that include fatalities every year. 30,000 people are injured falling off ladders each year. When I was a son, my dad almost died falling off a ladder working on our house. Uh, 6,000 deaths from falling off of ladders every year in this country. There are 15,800 murders per year. There are 80 deaths from tornadoes every year. Uh, Rowlett had one death from the tornado that came last December. We're about to mark one year from that anniversary. Families are still rebuilding their lives. Hudson, my son, who's here today, he and I were at the Tornado Relief Center on Friday night unloading a truck of donations from the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban. We were so thankful for that. Many families still displaced. 55 people per year are killed by lightning. 52 shark attacks and 11 deaths from sharks per year. 31 deaths from poisonous reptiles. You see my point. There's a lot of trouble that's potentially out there for us. We could add to this the perennial school shootings that occur, increasing, uh, increasingly frequent terrorist attacks that come across the news and anything else that you wish to add to this list. As Ray LaMontagne sang in his 2004 debut album, Trouble, 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 been dogging my soul since the day I was born. This morning I'd like for us to talk about the trouble that dogs our soul. And so turn with me to John chapter 16, if you have your copies of God's word, John chapter 16. In this chapter, we will find our key verse for the morning, just one verse. You can see the outline in your bulletin. As Jesus was preparing to return to heaven, he was concerned about his disciples. And so in this chapter, he, he talks to them uh, soothingly and compassionately, because he's worried that once he leaves, He's worried on whether or not they're going to be able to handle all of the avalanche of troubles that he knows is coming into their lives. And to be honest, they haven't done so well with him here. And now he's worried that he's leaving and how are they going to do? So uh, he, he doesn't lecture them here. He speaks tenderly. He wants to soothe their fears. Uh, John 16, Would you stand as I read this portion of God's word? This is our text for this morning. John 16, It's a familiar verse. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Amen? You may be seated. We see in this verse that Jesus wants his disciples to have peace. 
but this peace is only going to come in the context of a world that's full of trouble. Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation. There's no waffling. There's no perfuming this. It's a statement of fact. There are some bullets that we're not going to be able to dodge. Today we're going to focus on the Greek word translating in my version as tribulation. The Greek word is thalipsis. All right, say that with me. Thalipsis. All right, say it one more time. Thalipsis. It rolls off the tongue. Thalipsis is the focus of this sermon. First, we're going to seek to define what this word means. And then we're going to explore how we can overcome it. As Jesus said regarding Thalipsis, take courage, I have overcome the world. What does that mean? How is that going to really come into my life here in 2016? When I was first studying Greek in seminary, the word Thalipsis caught my attention when I was going through the book of Romans, so much that I took the word and I printed it out and I pinned it to my bulletin board. You may know as a Christian who's been around the church that agape means love. You may know that koinonia means fellowship. I would suggest to you that it's not a bad thing for us to understand that thalipsis means that trouble is coming. I think it's a Greek word that's worth knowing. It's translated tribulation in the New American Standard, the version that I use normally, uh, also in the English Standard and the King James. It's translated suffering in the Holman Christian Bible, trouble in the NIV, persecution in the Revised Standard, and trials and sorrows in the New Living Translation. And because this word is translated with so many synonyms in our English Bibles, uh, in our sermon this morning, in every passage that we're in that uses this word, we're just going to bring the Greek word forward, and we're going to call it thalipsis, rather than being confused by the different English words that the translators use. Because we wish to understand this morning what thalipsis is. Thalipsis, as you can see from the different ways that the translators deal with it, it's a broad word for all kinds of hardships. For all kinds of hardships. It's a word, too, I think that communicates primarily to the heart rather than to the head because it carries with us this word, a pretty powerful word picture. The root of the word thalipsis actually means pressure. 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 Do you know what it means to be under pressure? That's the word. That's this word thalipsis. You might come home from work and say, dear, I'm under a ton of pressure at work. Things are piling up on me. That's thalipsis. I have a huge weight on my shoulders. That's the pressure of trouble, thalipsis. And if thalipsis goes unchecked in our lives, it will crush us. That's what it wants to do. It wants to crush us. Thalipsis is the vice, and you are the walnut in the vice. And with one more turn, it could crush you. It's the weight on your chest. It's your stomach tied up in knots. It's the pressure of the difficulties of this world. In modern medicine, thalipsis is used to describe the closing of the arteries, the squeezing of the blood vessels. How many of you know this morning what I'm talking about when we talk about the pressures of this world? Do you know what it means to be under pressure, to have trouble weighing you down? Now, thalipsis can come from external or internal sources, either way. A thalipsis may come into your life from external circumstances of which you have absolutely no control. Or it could be that your circumstances are okay, but in your heart and in your soul, you're afraid. And, you're, and you have doubt and you have anxiety. Remember I said that this is a broad word. This is not a word to describe a particular type of suffering. 
but rather it's an umbrella word to include all of the portfolio of hardship that this world can throw at us. For example, it can refer to natural disasters, Acts 7:11. but a famine came upon all the land and great thalipsis with the famine. Famines, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes all produce trouble, hardship, affliction. The word can also cover other types of unfavorable circumstances. James 1.27, visit orphans and widows in their thalipsis. That's a hard place to be if you're an orphan or if you're a widow. It can refer to persecution of Christians. Acts 20.23, the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and thalipsis await me. They're going to persecute me in this city where God is directing me to go. It can extend, as some of you know, even to marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 28, those who marry will have worldly thalipsis. All right, amen to that. So those of you who are married, you know that it can produce some difficult times. I'm not sure who that young couple is, but they've experienced some thalipsis, I'm sure. So whether it's from our own sinful decisions or whether it's a tornado that rips through a community, whether it's a war that sends refugees into flimsy boats, whether it's terrorists flying planes into buildings, whether it's a person falling off a ladder and breaking their back, there is thalipsis in this world. In the world you have thalipsis, Jesus said. Expect it. Now I know that this is not a very joyful message at this point. I realize that, but these are the words of Christ. I wish it were true, church, that when you became a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, that he placed you under a bubble of protection. I wish that was true, as some teach. That if you become a Christian, then your chances of getting a disease or your chances of being in a car accident are 50% of what they would be if you were not a Christian. I wish the health and wealth gospel were true, but it's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches us. God can protect us at times, certainly. We all have testimonies of that. But by and large, we live in a world full of trouble. Trouble will dog your soul from the day you're born till the day you die. Uh, there was a man named George who knew his fair share of thalipsis. He was a man who lived in London, England, many years ago. He was famous. You would know his name if I told it to you. Uh, he was a strong Christian. This is what a biographer wrote about George. A quote, his London years saw ups and downs, unbelievable downs at times. He was surrounded by bulldogs with terrible fangs. Wow. By jealous colleagues, arrogant virtuosos, cannibalistic theater companies. Twice he was bankrupt, and once he was stricken by apoplexy amid the ruins of his company. More than once, even his friends thought that he had lost his reason. He knew trouble. Another book that I was reading about his life said that some of the most painful trouble that came into his life was from fellow Christians who said the cruelest things about him and about his ministry in London. We all have thalipsis in some degree or another, in one way or another. Look back at our verse, John 16, 33. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have thalipsis, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Okay, now that we have learned a little bit about what thalipsis is, we've defined it and we've looked at it in scripture. How now do we take Jesus's exhortation that we can be encouraged because of his overcoming the world? Well, in our verse today, Jesus issues a command. He says, take courage. This is an imperative. 
This is an ongoing action. Continually take courage in this world of trouble. Why? Because Jesus says, I've overcome the world. And so the command to take courage in our lives is linked with the fact that Jesus had some victory when he was here over this world that's full of trouble. So just think about this. How does this work? How does Jesus' victory in a world full of trouble come to my small world in 2016? How am I encouraged in any way because of the victories that Jesus had? Uh, If this old guy tries to jog a few slow, painful miles every week as a part of my exercise program, which I'm trying to do, how does Usain Bolt's gold medal in the Olympics in any way encourage me not to give up my exercise program? It's like we're both running, but that's where the similarity ends. And I think in some ways as Christians, we can look at our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and say, hey, he had some victory in this world, but he's in such a different category than I'm in. After all, he was God, wasn't he? He was in relationship with the Father. His victory over the world, how does that encourage me? It can seem like the two are unrelated. This is where we would do well to remember that Jesus was not only fully God, but he was fully human. Jesus died as God for your sin, but he lived as a human being for your example. As the writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so just think with me for a second about Jesus and his life on this earth. In what ways did our Lord Jesus Christ experience thalipsis? In a manner in which he can relate to you this morning and give you encouragement I've made a list. It's not a complete list. I'm sure there's more. But as you start to think about the life of Christ, as you read about it in the Gospels, it's amazing how much trouble our Lord encountered. For example, first, he had family problems. Anybody here have family problems? Family problems produced the ellipsis. He had a mother who thought he was crazy. She wanted to silence him. His siblings uh, were ashamed of him and were likewise trying to short-circuit his ministry. Jesus had family problems that I'm sure were difficult for him. His friends were not much better, right? Jesus handpicked this group of men to spend time with and for him to invest in. And at the end of the day, they betrayed him and they did not believe in him. They doubted him. They abandoned him. Jesus had problems with his friends. Jesus was also wrongly judged by religious people. I wonder if you've ever been wrongly judged by a religious person. That's a particularly acute area of pain when you have trouble in the church. You have trouble with so-called religious leaders. Jesus was an outsider, and he faced much opposition. Jesus was abused by corrupt law enforcement officers. How about that for a relevant issue to what's going on today in our country? Jesus also knew the sorrow of loss. He wept bitterly when his friend died. He knew that when this body fails, how much pain that that produces on a person. He wrestled with God in the garden. He wrestled with his father. He's like, is there a less painful way for me to redeem these people? God said, there's not. And nowhere was the pressure greater than when he experienced the agony of our sin on the cross, where he was crushed for our sins by God. 
Beloved, this is what Jesus overcame. This is what our Lord overcame. So when Jesus comes to you this morning and he says, take courage, I've overcome the world, it's from one survivor to another. This is a man who can relate to what you're going through. Jesus says, I know what brings you tears at night. I know what's causing you not to be able to sleep. I understand the pressures that you're under because I experienced those pressures. And so let me help you through them. I had victory. I overcame them and I can help you overcome them as well. When Jesus reaches out to us, he does so as someone who can understand, who is very relevant to us. D.L. Moody once said this. He said, God has had one son without sin, but he has never had one without sorrow. God the Father let God the Son live for 33 years with an increasing amount of thalipsis upon him. Jesus died for our sins, but he lived to be our example So when Jesus says, take courage, I've overcome the world, this is a man who knows what he's talking about. He can relate to what you're facing today. Well, let's consider now two areas of application by going a little bit deeper into this promised encouragement that Jesus offers to his worried disciples. How exactly does this happen? Uh, The application I would suggest and bring to you this morning is one that I think is simple to remember. It's chin up and arms out. Chin up and arms out. Let's talk about what each of those mean. The first is chin up. That is, there's a decision that you and I have to make based on this text, and that is Jesus's command. Remember, he said, take courage. I've overcome the world. That's on us. That's a command for you and I that we can choose to obey or we can choose to ignore. Jesus is saying, I know it's very hard for you, but I want you to make room for encouragement. Within your discouraging set of circumstances, take courage, even with what you're facing, because I overcame the world. Paul said to the Ephesians, as an illustration in Ephesians 3.13, I ask you not to lose heart at my thalipsis on your behalf. Isn't that interesting? The church was about to lose heart, to give up, to say, forget it, it's too hard. Look what they're doing to Paul. If this is a man of God and he's being beaten and almost sawn in two and thrown throwing stones at him, and this is too much. I want out. And Paul said, don't lose heart. Chin up. Be encouraged. Christ is going to help us through this difficulty. Don't lose heart at Thalipsis. He said to the Corinthians, he said, we are Thalipsis in every way, but not crushed. I love that. To the Corinthians. He said, hey, you know, we're not flying the white flag. We're not pretending everything's fine either. Things are very hard. We have a lot of thalipsis going on in our lives, but it's not going to crush us. That pressure is not going to get to us because Christ is with us. We may bend, but we're not going to break. So chin up. We're going to make it through it together with the help of Christ. After all, Romans 8.35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will thalipsis? No. Thalipsis will not. Thalipsis, church, is a second-rate bully. It doesn't have that much power. It doesn't have the power to steal the things that really matter. It doesn't have the power to separate you from God. It can't touch your peace. It can't touch your hope. It can't touch your faith. The Lipsis cannot have access to those things. What can it do? It can take your life. It can kill you. You can fall off a ladder. You can get eaten by a shark. You can be uh, devastated by a tornado. But that's all, right? There's a lot of things worse than death. And the things that matter most, our eternal security and our love for Christ and our connection with those who are in the body of the church, those things are off limits to Thalipsis. Cannot touch it. So chin up. The things that really matter are secure. And as hard as this life can be, it cannot touch those things. 
let's get really radical while we're on a roll here, Romans 5.3, and not only this, but we also exult in our thalipsis, knowing that thalipsis brings about perseverance. Perseverance. Now, this may be beyond where you're at this morning. 90% of the time, it's beyond where I'm at. But it is possible with our faith in a loving, sovereign, powerful God to come to the place, that sweet spot spiritually, where we can actually exalt, which means to rejoice in the trouble, in the pressure that's in our lives. That's possible. Listen, I understand that when you're suffering, you don't want someone to come up to you and say, hey, chin up, buttercup, it's going to be okay. Hey, it's not that bad. You know, we're going to get through this. Those are like the things that people post on Facebook, the blog posts of what not to say to someone when they're going through a difficult time. This is what not to say to someone when they're grieving. Uh, I understand that, that this exhortation to take courage and cheer up and chin up and be encouraged even though things are terrible in your life is not, doesn't sound appropriate. But again, I tell you, these are the words of Christ this is Jesus saying you have to make room in your life for encouragement in a discouraging world. We're reminded this morning that we do not grieve as those without hope. We do not suffer in vain. It matters that we know the end of the story. It should matter. As Christians, as we go through this very, very difficult life, we should go through it differently than those without hope. Maybe there's someone here today who needs that encouragement to, to chin up. I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's going away. There may be more trouble coming this afternoon. I don't know. But with Christ, we can be encouraged. The second point of application is arms out. So chin up, be encouraged, don't despair, don't be crushed. God's going to help us through this. The second application is arms out. And what does that mean? It means receive the comfort of God in the community of God's people. That you have to be open to what God wants to do in your life when you're going through these difficult times. And that's going to occur in the community of the church. You see, most of the time when we go through hardship and when hardship comes into our lives, we don't want to have our arms out. We want to have our arms folded. We want to retreat and pull in the welcome mat and to curl up in a ball and say, do not bother me. I'm going through a hard time. Leave me alone. That's our natural response. And God's word is going to tell us today that when you go through hardship, you have to have your arms open. We have to be available to let God minister to us through the community, through the body of Christ on earth, which is his church. Paul said to the Thessalonians this in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7. He said, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and thalipsis, we were comforted about you through your faith. In our distress and in our pressure that we were under, we were encouraged by your faith, and you were encouraged by our faith. When your faith is low, if you're in community, my faith, which is strong, can carry you through. And when my faith is low, your faith, which is strong, can carry me through. And together we get through life. And the distresses and the thalipsises and the bad things that happen to us, we're able to endure those things whether it's a prayer or a meal or financial assistance or an encouraging note, together we pick one another up. Philippians 4.14, Paul said, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my thalipsis. So if God has something he wants to share with you, if you have your arms folded spiritually, you can't receive what God wants to give to you. We have to have our arms open. Paul said, I was going through a really hard time, and you shared with me what I needed in that difficult time. 
That's the body of Christ. That's God's encouragement to us. The comfort comes from the community of the church, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Precious verse about comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our thalipsis so that we will be able to comfort those in any thalipsis with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We don't live in a bubble of protection. We don't dodge all the bullets. And when those hardships come into our life, God has prepared someone to comfort us as he comforts them. He's ready with a balm, a, a, a healing oil on our damaged souls. As the spiritual says, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. God has a remedy, and it's in the loving arms of the church. Uh, the man named George, with all the trouble that I talked about before, was George Friedrich Handel, uh, the great musician and composer. Uh, he's the man of who, whom Beethoven wrote, quote, the master of us all, the greater compos greatest composer who ever lived. That's pretty high praise coming from Beethoven <laughs> towards this man. And sadly, the Christians in London boycotted his music. He wrote these beautiful oratorios based on the Bible based on the life of Moses and the story of the Exodus. And his most famous oratorio is one called the Messiah, which we sing often at Christmas time. But the Christians were not happy. They were grumbling. They were upset. They were very mean to him because Handel wanted to perform his oratorios, not in the churches and the cathedrals of the day, but in the secular theaters and halls, because he wanted to get the word of the hope of the gospel to those who didn't have it. And the Christians thought this was sacrilegious. How could you take this beautiful work and perform it in such a profane place? And so literally they hired people to tear down his handbills throughout the city so that people wouldn't know about his performances. And then they scheduled the ladies' tea during the performance, and so, so he wouldn't have an audience to hear the beautiful music. The Christians were doing this. Thalipsis can be, us Christians can produce so much thalipsis. It's very, very sad. But though Handel was pressed on every side, he was not crushed. His faith in God and his true friends allowed him to get back on his feet, and it was out of his thalipsis, the pain that he experienced, not only from Christians, but other circumstances in his life, that he wrote some of the most powerful music that we have today. He exalts Christ, for example, in the Messiah, as he put to words those wonderful, that wonderful verse in Isaiah. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so let's end with that concept of peace. Remember that this was Christ's goal in the beginning. John 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have thalipsis. Can't get around that. But take courage. I've overcome the world. Child of God, be at peace. Be at peace. The trouble comes in a wide variety of forms and with ever-increasing frequency but be at peace. Take courage, Jesus commands us as his children, because he experienced it also, and he overcame it, and he offers help to us. Don't be, don't be in despair. Don't lose heart. Chin up. The Lipsis is only a second-rate bully. The things that really matter are secure in your life. Praise God for that.
God wants to minister to you in the loving community of the church and the people sitting next to you, the people sitting in front of you, the people sitting behind you. It is from the people of the church. It's the body of Christ on earth that we find comfort in difficult times. Let me close with the words of, uh, of uh, J.I. Packer, that great theologian. He wrote this. He said, uh, we see in the end that he, Jesus, leaves us in a world of sin to be tried, tested, belabored by troubles that threaten to crush us in order that we may glorify him by our patience under suffering as he constantly upholds and delivers us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for warning us. Thank you for letting us know that this life would not be easy. You did not pretend that all would go well with your disciples, and you do not pretend that all will go well for us. Thank you for being honest with us. We are encouraged this morning by your words that you overcame the corrupt system and patterns of this world. You suffered, and yet you did not sin. You wrestled with your father, but you did not give up your path of obedience. Jesus, some here this morning have heavy burdens, and I pray that you would lift their countenance with your gentle hand and give them hope again. Give the one who is here today and is full of anxiety, give that person your peace. Encourage us to find comfort in the arms of your church. Help us to be open to the words of comfort that you desire to speak into our lives. Help us as Christians to be alleviators of pain rather than causing pain. May you bless the rest of this service and bless especially our time at your table. In all of this we give thanks. In Christ's name we pray, amen.